So today we uh, continue to talk about generosity, responding to God's radical grace and community. Generosity, first and foremost, is rooted in awareness of God's goodness, God's mercy and kindness, God's grace, God's costly grace. Generosity uh, is a word that for many of us evokes a thinking about money. And it's true that that can be a, a way of showing generosity. But it's mostly about what motivates us and what comes forth in giving. You can actually give money without being radically generous or generous at all. You can give money to get rid of people and avoid doing anything else. How many of you have had those phone calls where you're being solicited and they want to tell you all the stuff that's going on and all the good work they're doing and you don't want to listen to it, you just say, oh yeah, I'll give you a donation just to get rid of them and not to be invested in caring about what they're talking about. You can give money to create dependency and have control. So it's not just about giving money. It's primarily about what's coming from the heart. Generosity is a characteristic of the life of a person who's responding to God's grace. So it involves money and time and talent and space and relationships. Today in Luke 3, uh, Luke 17, 3 to 10, we're looking at generosity as it applies to relationships in one specific aspect. To be relationally generous is to persevere in forgiveness. For many of us, it's one of the most challenging aspects of being a disciple. And in fact, the standard that Jesus teaches is a high one. Listen again. If your brother or sister sins, warn them to stop. Some passages use the term rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if someone sins against you seven times in one day and returns to you seven times and says, I'm changing my ways, you must forgive that person seven times in a day. Now, before we start, I, I want to suggest that there, there are a few problems um, for us that might pop up as we think about seven times in a day as, as an example. Um, we might think um, seven times in a day, uh, Jesus ta is talking about, you know, small things that are really more like annoyances or inconveniences uh, related to differences we have. Um, things about working together and making it work smoothly that maybe aren't even really subjects for forgiveness. Uh, in the LEC, uh, we are trying to work on keeping everybody safe, and that means the children have masks on all the time. Well, they're spending an awful lot of time at home where they don't have to have masks on. And so I am continually, at least seven times a day, reminding them to keep their mask up over their nose and mouth. And sometimes um, I get a little bit annoyed and I probably get a little short, but I don't think that's the kind of thing that we're talking about with real forgiveness. They're learning, they're growing, and adults do that too. We learn and we grow 
It's good to be patient with one another. That's probably not the radical kind of forgiveness and teaching that Jesus is addressing. But we might also think of another situation. We might think Jesus is talking about repeat situations where someone is in a relationship with someone who continuously mistreats or abuses them, or a similar situation where there's codependency and a person is mistaking forgiveness for forgiving inness. Jesus does not intend this to be a kind of excuse or rationale for people to allow themselves to be continuously mistreated or harmed. Forgiveness does not ignore or gloss over wrongdoing. Forgiveness does not mean being a pushover or allowing someone to continue to take advantage of you or abuse you. A forgiving person can set healthy boundaries. My mom used to say, a locked box keeps a person honest, and it does. Jesus keeps the balance in his teaching between correction, expectation of repentance, and forgiveness. Still, this teaching is difficult. Seven is a symbolic number in Jesus' world. In fact, in the Matthew version of this story, um, Peter asks for more clarification, and he says, uh, Jesus, is it really seven times that we're supposed to forgive our brother? And Jesus says, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. And what Jesus is really saying is, forgiveness is a perpetual project. It is a way of life. And seven being a kind of number of fullness or completeness, if somebody has wronged you as completely and thoroughly as someone could wrong you, if you are my disciple, you will forgive them. That's a radical teaching. And when the disciples grasped it, they cried out, increase our faith. Now, before I go on to talk about how Jesus understands what forgiveness looks like, the practice of forgiveness. I just want to say for a moment that as I reread this passage, which I've read many times before, the words that really jumped out to me were the disciples saying, increase our faith, and I thought what a wonderful example it was. So many times when I am reading scriptures or hearing preaching and hear something uh, said that God expects of us or requires of us or asks of us that seems too hard or that I don't understand the rationale for or that maybe even seems like, oh, potentially that, that could be hazardous. I just kind of like put it aside and brush it off and think, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not going to work on that one right now. But I think there's incredible wisdom in the disciples' response. Just okay, God, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't think I can do it. I'm not up to it yet. But increase my faith. Help me understand. Help me grow. Give me wisdom. Help me discern the way you would have me do this. I'm going to remember this phrase. Increase my faith. It needs to be a more regular part of my prayer. 
So back to Jesus' teaching about forgiveness. First, Jesus says it's a really, really important thing. And it has a note of warning associated with it. Jesus is giving this teaching because he wants to prevent harm to individuals and to the community both. He says, watch yourselves. What is the harm of not forgiving? In Hebrews 12, uh, verse 15, there's an interesting reference to God's grace. It says, make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. When we have been wronged and we hold on to it, we give room for a root of bitterness. When we nurse our anger, when we don't deal with it forthrightly, we create opportunity for our souls to get twisted and distorted around anger and bitterness. And it can crowd out so much of our psyche, so much of what is good. Jesus is giving the warning in part simply for the benefit of the disciples. Don't let yourself be twisted by anger. And also for the benefit of the community as a whole. Rebuke, correct, and forgive. If you just overlook or ignore wrongdoing in a community, it takes root also and becomes standard. No big deal. So, how does one begin to practice forgiveness? First principle is refuse to caricature the wrongdoer and instead identify with them. Jesus says in verse 3, if a brother or if another disciple harms you. Jesus characterizes the person doing the wrongdoing by something which connects that person to the person who has been injured. This is kind of counterintuitive. When we get uh, harmed by someone, I tend to start thinking about them in ways that are not like me at all. Well, what's wrong with them? They're selfish, they're thoughtless, they're, and I don't think about my own uh, lack or the own, my other situations in which I might be the same. I tend to put them in another category. But Jesus says, start with what you have in common. Miroslav Wolf um, is a theologian who is a Protestant and um, Croatian, and he began his uh, deep theological reflections, um, most famous in a book called Exclusion and Embrace, as he was processing what happened in Yugoslavia, in his country, um, the situation that built up between different groups of people that led to ethnic cleansing, war crimes, and 
horrible social upheaval and violence. And he said that uh, forgiveness flounders when I exclude my enemy from the community of humanity and when I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Instead, we are to think of ourselves both as sinners in common with the person who has hurt us and both made in the image of God. I think that uh, many of us are concerned about the state of civil society in our country right now. We've seen extraordinary uh, acts of violence and extraordinary rhetoric against one another. Uh, my son uh, and I had a conversation not too long ago where he said, you know, I think a lot of it's about social media. Uh, and social media, with its memes and its funny pictures of, you know, people on both sides who have really witty, piercing insights about each other, oftentimes not complimentary, I think social media takes us a long way in caricaturing each other. And it can, be, it can be eroding. And I think it has been eroding. We need to really learn to work on how to see ourselves as sinners and made in the image of God both and others also. Refuse to caricature the wrongdoer and instead identify with them. This begins even in the process of rebuking or correcting the brother or sister. Bear with me on this. You know you can correct someone in a way that is kind of like, I gotcha. I knew you were like this. Stop doing it, you so-and-so. And what happens then? You create a line that kind of has a way of making a self-fulfilling prophecy. Entirely different from correcting someone in a way that believes that they can do better, that wants them to do better, that is risking the vulnerability of disappointment if they don't do better. It makes all the difference in the world. So the mindset of forgiveness starts even in the way we begin to approach a conflict or to acknowledge a wrongdoing. Tim Keller says the line between moral outrage and immoral outrage is painfully thin. And it depends on whether or not we're actually wishing and believing in the possibility of the correction of someone who's done something wrong. I know when I've been corrected before by people, it makes all the difference if someone is doing it in a way that says, 
I believe you can do better. It makes me believe it too, even when it's hard. So, refusing to caricature the wrongdoer and instead identifying with them and hoping for the best. And then it says, he says, forgiveness is surrendering the right to reclaim the debt, a debt that has been owed you, and being willing to pay for it yourself. When someone harms you, you could try to make them pay. You could try to tell them off and make them feel as bad as they've made you feel. You could try to ruin them by gossiping about them and making them look bad in front of other people. You could decide you don't have a way to do that or you don't want to do that, but hold it inside and inwardly root for them to fall on their face and root for them to be hurt and just sit back and watch. When we refuse to seek revenge or get repayment for a wrong, it kind of hurts. It kind of feels like we're giving up something that we have a right to. It's not easy. It's interesting. I went, I went to uh, find the, the hymns for today, and um, I wanted to find some hymns that were about us forgiving other people. And they have some of them, but I got to tell you, most of them are in a minor key, which is a little bit of a sad key. Uh, now, during this time of the pandemic, when we have few people in here singing together aloud, we're trying to do familiar and happy songs. So it was a little bit of a problem. You'll notice our closing hymn is a hymn with words that are about giving up the bitterness of forgiving uh, uh, through forgiveness. It is in the hymnal in a minor key and kind of a hard tune to sing but it fortunately can be reset to the happy tune of Amazing Grace, which theologically makes sense anyway, because forgiveness is rooted in Amazing Grace, God's grace. So in the music itself, there's an acknowledgement that it can be really hard to forgive. Jesus' teaching is encouraging us to start the practice before we have the feelings all in place with faith that the feelings will follow. Increase my faith so I can follow. And then finally, Jesus ends his teaching with this strange story about a master and a servant story is hard for us to relate to because our context is so different, but in, in Jesus' day, people would become servants in households or slaves, as there's, uh, some translations will uh, label this, because they accumulated, uh, either they were captives of war, and in a sense, then there was a debt that was being paid through reparations in a sense, but quite often they were servants because they had accumulated debt that they could not repay. And the options were that they either went to prison or, uh, which really makes it hard to repay, or 
they could go into the employ as a servant of a master and work off their debt until they were um, repaid. So in this story, Jesus is saying, well, imagine if you're a master and you have a servant who's been out working in the fields all day and it's dinner time. When they come in, you don't have them eat first and that you have them keep doing their work because they're still paying off their debt. Um, and, and that's just what is, they're supposed to be doing. Forgiveness, our practicing of forgiveness, Jesus is implying, is much like us simply repaying a huge debt that we are just in progress on. And that focus is on the fact that God has already paid so much on our benefit. I don't often do what uh, the 12-step programs say that we should do, a searching moral inventory. When I do, my list gets kind of long. And that's even for someone who had parents who invested with faith and great lessons and taught and a whole church that helped nurture me. When I make my list, I still have a long list of ways in which I fall short of who I should be, who God wants me to be. And yet, I can live with the freedom of feeling forgiven and in relationship because God has paid the price. Grace, sometimes people describe it as God's riches at Christ's expense. So forgiveness is fundamentally rooted in awareness of how God has been so good to us. We can trust God trying to share just a piece of that goodness with others. And if we don't, if we forget, well then we're kind of acting like we're better than God. May God give us grace in these days to learn and keep working on living as people of forgiveness. Amen.